Hi everyone and welcome back to the Student Economist podcast. The podcast discusses the weekly economic news from around the world. Each week we'll have a different student guest who will discuss the news with your hosts who are Abby Ruparadia and myself, Arushal. Uh, if you'd like to join us as a guest in the future, please fill out the form on the website. But for now, uh, let me introduce today's guest, Thomas Connor. It's great to have you on the show, Thomas. How are you? But yeah, it's great to be on the show. Uh, it's good to finally be on after UKS exams and it's good to get talk about the economic news. Yeah, great to have you on, Thomas. Looking forward to it. So today our first topic is the UK's second wave. Now, there have been a spike in cases. The R rate is going up. Um, so we can sort of say that we're into the second wave. So how do you guys think the UK will fare this time around? Well, Arush, uh, this time it's less about protecting the NHS and it's more about protecting lives and the economy. And it's actually potentially could be a more difficult balance, especially going into flu season, which starts around now. And we should be hopefully well equipped now, other than testing in the fact that we have these Nightingale hospitals and we have, uh, if you remember back in March, we had the, the shortage of ventilators, hopefully, and I'd hope the government has sorted that out. But this time I feel we may actually get it a bit worse, especially you can see more people self-isolating just because they've got coughs and colds and the flu is got similar symptoms to what COVID has in the respect of the fever. And many people will test negative for the coronavirus. However, they have the flu, but will still need to self-isolate for 14 days. And that, if you think a percentage of people are out of the economy because they're not working for 14 days and that could be quite a few people and this could be quite detrimental to the economy um in respect to how it the virus is spreading at the moment i think it's the opening of schools and universities has been um it hasn't been as staggered or as controlled as it should have been and this is what probably has caused this second uh, spike. Have, has the restrictions been good enough? Well, we've had this rule of six uh, um, rule come into place. And there's a lot of, before it was meet with one household, but it was one household up to six people, but with a maximum of 30, the guidelines were really bad and now it's just a rule of six so people are thinking how the rules change but they have just to the extent that they can be prosecuted for going to seven people rather than 30 people whether this works or not is a different question but it's it's uh testing times ahead to put it lightly yeah Abby, i think that's a good point and i do agree that last time um i actually believe that this time actually that our hospitals are more prepared for what's to come. But I think one key difference between this lockdown and the first lockdown back in March and April is the is how effective they will be. I believe that this time for the second lockdown, they'll be much less effective than in the first lockdown because I think there's a lack of clear messaging by the government to what they really want people to do. Before it was stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives. It was this key mantra that got people to stay home and they did in their thousands. And I believe also that people this time will be less receptive. 
And I think that's just a problem between sort of locking down and staying in quarantine because there's no tangible benefits between you doing that and seeing what happens in the outside world. By me locking down, I don't see the direct impact that will have on the outside world. And I believe that this time less people will stay safe and stay home. And also I think people tend to feel this time a bit more corona wary. They've been through a lockdown once, they've suffered the social negatives of being in isolation for months at a time. And what's happened? We're back in another lockdown. And I think one of the main reasons for this is the government failure. And I think people feel that. And I think many people are angry at the government for not doing their part. For example, a lack of a proper track and trace system and not enough tests with people having to travel hundreds of miles for tests. Um, for example, a friend I know had to travel all the way up to Birmingham to get a test last week. This is simply not right. And I believe people in the UK feel that and therefore are less likely to want to lock down and less likely to adhere to the measures. Um, that's two good points you both make there. Thomas, you spoke about the track and trace system. Um, and one thing that I wanted to add is that obviously the testing system as well, as you said, hasn't really worked out. But crucially, it, improving the testing system actually seems incompatible with um, going back to schools and universities. Um, interestingly, Matt Hancock believes that, and he's, I think, somewhat fairly stated that the problem with the testing system lies uh, not where the swabs are taken, but in the laboratories where it's sort of developed and more tests are developed um, and it becomes more efficient. But as universities open up again, um, actually a, a huge source of um, laboratory employment comes from university students. So as students go back, there's less sort of aid for this development of the testing process. Um, so I think the two seem a bit incompatible with one another. So maybe it's rather than having the double objective of um, in improving testing and sending people back to normality, the government needs to prioritise one and sacrifice the other in the um, short run. So perhaps sacrifice such a quick movement back to normality in the short run uh, so that we can have it in the long run. Um, so how do you guys feel that this um, opportunity cost between um keeping people at home and preventing the spread and um sending people back to school and normal life could play out and what do you think the government should schools i think they have to remain open for as long as is possible whereas universities what a lot of people are doing everything is online and apparently they're only having to come in for one lecture and one seminar and that's still that one lecture or, or one seminar is still a risk and what university students i feel could be at home and that that way you're probably reducing the risk quite substantially and if you've noticed that the, the tone of the government especially when Boris Johnson's speech on Tuesday or whenever it was. Um, it, it was very much directed at the young people and the statistics show that it's 17 to 30 year olds who are the main spreaders of this second wave, which, you got, which we may not think is dangerous because we're not going to have the effects. But it's when the 17 year old passes it to his parents who are what 50 
for example, who, who then pass it on to grandparents unknowingly is when it starts to get dangerous. So this two week lag between um, cases and death may be a bit longer because for it to get to the elder generation, it's going to take a bit more time. That's why I think the government are trying to nip it in the bud as soon as possible. However, this could have taken place one week earlier when we were averaging only 2,000 cases per day. Now we're averaging somewhere close to the uh, 4,000, maybe even 5,000. I think yes, uh, yesterday on um, Thursday, we had some of the highest cases since mass testing was available, and if not the highest. This is it's, it's quite scary at the moment, and uh, a national lockdown is looking quite likely. Whether people adhere to the to the rules and regulation, as Thomas was saying, is a different question. And I think it's it's going to be um, we're going to move on to this point. I think in a moment about the the idea of what support these businesses will get if we go into a national lockdown. Yeah, that was our that's our next kind of um, topic. So. Um, it's been announced by the Chancellor Rishi Sunak that some new support for business um, will be put businesses we put in place on Thursday. Um, how effective do you think, guys? Do you guys think this will be, and do you really think it will be enough? So, so I'll just describe the scheme quickly for those listeners who don't know what's happening. So uh, last week, Rishi Sunak um, described the job support scheme, which is a new scheme to replace the furlough scheme, which will end at the end of October. And with this job support scheme, instead of paying workers to stay at home and for their inactivity, the job support schemes help to top up workers' pay to three quarters of their total full-time pay. So in a way, this gives a bit of responsibility for employers to pay part of their wages, but the government also helps. I think the furlough scheme was necessary back in the first lockdown because I don't think people were prepared for what was going to come and it was necessary to save millions of jobs and save millions of businesses and i think it was effective at that as as you can see in the usa there's a large high unemployment rate where not such drastic measures are introduced in comparison to the uk but the problem with the furlough scheme was the ridiculous opportunity cost it was expensive between april this year and august now there's the government has borrowed over 133.7 billion pounds to fund, among other things, the furlough scheme. I think the new job support scheme by Rishi Sunak will help to reduce the need for government to borrow so much money. But the downside of that is that it puts a lot of pressure on employers to pay wages. And if a second lockdown happens and people are sort of compelled to stay at home then these government these firms will have no revenue with which they can pay employees and i fear that a large people a large amount of people will go unemployed so i think that at the moment this could possibly work while there is slight revenue flows in the economy but i think if a second lockdown happens this will be a very dangerous have a very dangerous effect on people and their real income so the, the, the new support that uh, Rishi Sunak has put in place that new job support scheme is I don't think this is it's okay it's it's 
all on flat of what it should have. The idea behind the, the opportunity cost has to be eradicated out of the whole argument because the idea behind all schemes was saving businesses and people and saving jobs is expensive fact and the the furlough scheme was there put in place to make sure we don't have mass redundancies and we're slowly slowly starting to see mass redundancies and the furlough scheme some may argue hasn't worked because we are at the end of furlough in october i think we may see more mass um, more redundancies from firms that have capital as well so it's it's very interesting what he's put into place but another one to pick up is that there haven't been any more uh, there aren't there aren't many grants available for firms anymore and considering we're going into potentially another lockdown and there's a curfew on restaurants and pubs and i think uh food and beverage industry um that there's no grants and what if you think logistically with um with restaurants their first sitting tends to be the early sitting at six o'clock they'll then have one at eight o'clock and they can't get in that potentially smaller nine slash ten o'clock sitting that third sitting of what is extra revenue which probably creates their profits and they can't get that in due to this curfew so it'll be interesting to see how well it won't be interesting we know how these food and beverage uh the food and beverage industry has been hit and it's going to get hit even more so it's probably a long road for recovery for some of these firms and i think we're not going to see re uh, recovery in some of them I agree with that, but I believe that the government is sort of playing a game of whack-a-mole with the economy and people's health. By trying to improve the economy, they sort of suffer the general well-being of the population by, for example, um, trying to force people to go back to work. They see more people on public transport and in London. And then, but by trying to save people's health, they sort of damage the economy. So it's an interesting game to play and we will see in the next few months what happens. Guys, that's a really, really interesting debate. Unfortunately, we're going to have to quickly move on. Um, but first, do you guys think a V-shaped recovery is possible? So personally, um, a V-shaped recovery, which is essentially um, a really quick, speedy, steady recovery, um, probably won't be possible. Not only are unemployment figures, as you both said, um, rising rather quickly, and actually the Office of National Statistics has been criticised for not um, predicting unemployment statistics too effectively, but also many um, service sectors like physical retail and hospitality sectors um, are the ones which are suffering the most, uh, for example, due to social distancing measures. Um, and as a result of that, it can be said that um, these sectors, which actually take into many, many immigrants, many immigrant workers um, and many lower skilled workers are actually going to suffer the most so much of the kind of drive of the UK economy which comes from its immigrants from its potentially lower skilled workers uh, and from the opportunities it creates seems to be uh, disappearing here so from both of you quickly do you think that um, a v-shaped recovery is probably off the cards now uh, I'm gonna say yeah and I've 
always remained me and uh, Orish, as you know, for the past few months now, I have been extremely, extremely uh, against the, the fact that we're going to have a V-shaped reco uh, recovery. It, it was never on the cards in the first place, I don't think. And the people at the Bank of England's tone, if you have noticed, has changed because, and if you bring this, uh, bring the Brexit recovery into it, Brexit deal is very is looking more unlikely as time passes. As as we know, there's there's nearly there's just under twenty days to get a deal, and it's going to be very difficult to get a decent one in. So I never saw the V-shaped recovery on on in the first place, and I remained in the fact that it would be a Nike tick recovery, provided that the second wave wasn't bad and it was it was uh, main, maintainable however we've got new restrictions in place and as you spoke about some of these hospitality industries which rely on close contact and a lack of social distancing they need they needed the the recovery to be uh, the recovery from coronavirus to be a lot quicker However, they, they haven't got that. They've got more restrictions. And this is now more than a Nike tick recovery. It could go into potentially a U-shaped recovery. And it, it's looking quite doom. Uh, we're looking at doom days ahead. Yeah, I fundamentally agree with you, Abby. I don't think a V-shaped recovery is possible, likely, as now we head down into the second lockdown the government are going to have to introduce more measures to curb the spread of the virus and thus i think the economy will fail as well so yeah i agree thanks guys so now we've gone to our second main topic which is the uh us election so um as it as the election draws closer um obviously we've heard this week um the death of ruth bader ginsburg um from the supreme court so how do you feel changes to the supreme court um, which could favour the Republican Party um, because the Supreme Court's already quite conservative-leaning. Uh, how do you feel that um, that could affect the undecided voter? Well, I think Trump has played a very, very smart game in uh, trying to appoint a new Supreme Court judge as soon as possible in, because... and. The, the, the political game he's played, he said, I, I would, he said he wants it to be another woman. And if we know the previous judge was quite fundamental for equality in, um, in the US and the political game he's played. So we'll have, uh, he said, okay, we'll have another woman to do this role. And for the undecided voter, which is primarily a lot of young people at the moment, and these topics are hot on the list in um, in America, and this could potentially swing the undecided voter. The only thing with the undecided voter, they tend to have a political swing either to a Democrat or a Republican in the first place, but they are still in the middle, and it could get to uh, the date, election date, and they still could be undecided, but still go with that gut feeling of what they had uh, of what they had initially. Yeah, I believe that 
Trump is playing a calculated game here because the appointment of the new Supreme Court judge is distracting from the failure he had during COVID-19 pandemic to sort of more contentious political issues. For example, I think abortion is sort of a big issue amongst the new candidates. And one of the candidates is, um, one of the main candidates who is probably going to be elected is Amy Coney Barrett, who's a more conservative person and who believes that abortions, that life starts at birth. And I believe that the appointment of Amy Cohen Barrett would energise the already conservative base. I don't think would have much application to the undecided voter, but really sort of help the really, really Republican base already vote for Trump, which in an election provides no benefit if they're already going to vote for him. But the other main candidate to Amy Coney Barrett is Barbara Lagura, who's an Hispanic woman and studied law at Columbia Law School. And I think just because of her race, she may appeal to more younger voters, more sort of left-leaning Democrat voters, and especially the Hispanic population, who've got a very, very low voter turnout in the last election, I think 45.9%. So I think this may appeal more to the undecided voter. However, there is a risk of appointing Barbara Lagura, which is that those roots, those root supporters in the Republican side may sort of stray from Trump as he becomes more left-leaning. But I guess we will see the result of that in the next few weeks. Cool. So um, how do you guys feel that the, do, do you feel that racial divide is going to play a big part in the election? Um, so this has been a very, very hot topic globally, I'd say. And in, and in America, it's probably been the hottest topic when we had the death of George, the tragic death of George Floyd. And now we had uh, Breonna Taylor. And these racial divides between the Afro-Caribbean population, the BAME population, the Asian population, and the, 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 the Americans is, is the divide, I feel. It's becoming more prevalent. And I'm sure, I don't think the divide has changed, but it's just becoming people are becoming more aware to what is going on because the news and media are portraying this. In reference to the election, in, uh, this for the young people, and we're gonna move on to the young people, I think um, in a little bit, this for the young people is probably gonna be a very, very important issue, which I haven't seen Trump play his political game on. and whereas Biden has very well, but neither have played this um, inequality divide uh, good, uh, well enough to probably swing a voter one way or another. And the, this, this topic is, it's quite, it's quite, it's become big here in the UK. Okay, the UK has different problems as well uh, with coronavirus, whereas the US, sounds like it trump has just given up because they, they've just been very shambolic in their handling of it whereas this topic has been continuous on the media since april yeah i agree that i agree that this is a very contentious issue in america and i believe that the main sort of result of these sort of ongoing racial tensions in america is will be a larger turnout by the black community 
in 2012 under Obama, there was a 66.6% turnout from the election, but this fell down to 59.6% in the 2016 election. So as you can see, the number of sort of black people, people who are voting fell rapidly. But I think this time with more racial tensions and sort of the lack of the president's a proper reaction to the riots, he condemned the violence and there's no admission that he wants to make any structural changes in the police. I think this will incite a lot of a lot more younger people, younger black people especially, to vote. And I think obviously they will go to the Democrat side and I think they will see a stronger Democrat turnout in this election. Yeah, definitely. And I think with the um, uh, previous listeners will know that I'm, I'm quite big on the idea of inequalities and persisting inequalities. So, yeah, if inequalities continue to remain in place as they are in, in, at the moment, um, and obviously they will be in place, um, certainly when the election comes about and firmly in the knowledge of voters, you know, I, I, I do think it could appeal to the myopic and the short-term kind of side of the voter um, and really could uh, influence their decision. And do you think that the current racial situation or indeed the entire situation in the United States at the moment will really allow young people to drive the election? Yeah, I, I was picking up on this point a little bit earlier. And young people in this election are going to be the driving factor um, because of the fact they are undecided still. A lot of the, the older voters have an allegiance to a political party, whether it be Democrats or Republic, they've had this allegiance for more than a few years. And if we've noticed, if I don't know whether any of you know this, but people registering to vote is probably at, at one of the highest levels in America. This, this election is one of the biggest elections in the weirdest times that, that can be seen in history. It's the last time we had a pandemic of this sort was Spanish flu, and that didn't hit America. And this, so this is the first time America has had an election of this kind in such weird circumstances with topics that are very, very current. If you remember in 2016, it was very much about winning the, the, the key states such as Florida. And this time it's going to be very different. And I think it's about winning over the voters rather than the states because Florida has a tendency to be a very Republican state but it has been recently a swing state and this some of these key states is is where Biden or Trump they need to kind of target this because you'll have the the, the core Republican area of the the deep south but then you'll have the likes of um, Florida, as I've said, which are still in, in still where the young people will could determine whether who wins or who loses the election. Yeah, I think that's a good point. In in these swing states, I definitely believe the young vote, which was missing in the last election, would definitely play an important role. But I guess we cannot really see this happening until the election. However, I've I read an interesting news article about volunteering at polling stations with more sort of elderly people and middle-aged people sort of tending not to go out and not to take part in these large social gatherings like 
running a polling station, many young people are very, uh, sort of willing to take part now. And I think that's was positive as it shows sort of more political engagement than I think there was in the last election, especially among young people. So I definitely think in swing states, the, the youth vote will play a very important role. Yeah, so thanks guys. Um, I just want one final point to, to add in, in regards to the swing states. I think there, um, the current, you know, ignorance of people's rights, you know, which, which has been protested against in America. Um, and, and actually many of the, many black students, I, I feel, in America's higher universities who are actually from particularly poorer backgrounds. For example, 73% of students um, at such universities, of black students at top universities in America, um, qualify for Pell Grants, which is aid for the poorest in the, in the nation. So I think in that sense, many influential people and many people with firm knowledge of the election and who can certainly influence the election have been affected by the Trump administration over the last four years. And I feel that this really is a, a time where they can act and really affect swing states and young voters. So I think um, it seems like we're looking at a potential Biden victory. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. So that's all we have time for today. Thank you for coming on, Thomas. It's been great to have you on. And um, in the future, if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, uh, please do fill out the form on our website. Um, also, thanks to Abby for co-hosting. And we'll be back next week with another podcast. So stay tuned. Thanks.